millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Story time. A couple years back a small group of friends and I were camping up in northern Arizona. Most of us were sound asleep when we were awakened by the horrifying screams of what sounded like a woman being bludgeoned a few feet from our tent. We were paralyzed with fear, we weren't sure if we should leap out and fend off the attacker, or stay silent so we don't fall victim. The unnatural. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust proof stainless steel hardware, weather ready teak, and quick dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
Alright, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Gurgling. High-pitched screaming carried on for a few minutes until one of us gathered up the courage to scream out are you okay? Hello? Mid-scream, it stopped. The only trace of it left was echoing over the trees. We stepped out of our tent, cautiously. Completely expecting a knife-wielding serial killer standing over a disemboweled woman. But shockingly, there was nothing. The following hours were sleepless, every sound, Every movement made our hearts jump into our throats. The next morning we scurried off to a local bait shop and explained what happened to the cashier. He answered us with a wide grin, bobcat. Or mountain lion. Look it up. You should move your tent, don't want to risk running into one of them. He wasn't kidding. When I was younger I was out for a hike with my then boyfriend. It was during the night but on a well-known and used trail. It goes through a forest at first, then opens up and swings by the sea and then it goes back to the forest. Well, we were about to re-enter the woods, when my ex grabbed my arm, backed up and noped out of there, and we hurried back the way we came from. He kept looking over his shoulder, but didn't want to say anything else then did you see it? Until we were back at the car. He later told me that what he saw was this giant black human-shaped shadow approaching and we were just about to go right into it. Like only a few more steps. I think it was just the night and moonlight doing tricks on him, but it nevertheless creeped me out. He was so sure there was something there. A few years ago I moved to Fort Worth and then later took a job in Lubbock, Texas. I had a wedding to attend back in Missouri so I took a load of my stuff to my new apartment in Lubbock and then drove back to Missouri. It was a long drive and I left the wedding reception around 6 or 7 and headed back to Lubbock because I started my new job the next morning. Between Lubbock and Wichita Falls there is a 3.5 hour stretch of highway that is mostly ranch country. There are a few really tiny towns sprinkled in but you can drive the whole 3.5 hours and never see a car if you do it at the right time. I happened to come through at 3 am. So I turn onto the highway which runs basically straight east-west looking forward to the last leg of the drive and finally being able to sleep. There is no one on the road and you just have that weird alone feeling. There was no reception for me once I left Wichita Falls until I got to Lubbock. So here I am driving through ranch country with no reception and nothing around and I come to one of the first little tiny towns. On the side of the road in the middle of the town is a car that seems to be broken down. There is a woman standing there with the hood up and a jack nearby but no actually being used and she is trying to wave me down. Normally I stop to help in situations like this but I really needed to get back and get some sleep for my first day and the whole thing just felt wrong. As soon as I pass the car, the woman runs to the passenger side and gets in. A man springs out from hiding behind the other side of the car, slams the hood down, jumps in and starts the car and they start driving after me. 
It was all super hurried as soon as I didn't stop. So I did what anyone would do and pumped it up to 80 to 90 and hoped there wasn't a cow loose. I could see their headlights on the highway behind me for a long time but they eventually seemed to have given up. We hadn't come to any other town or place to turn off so they had to have turned around. I was super creeped out. When I was a teen, I was up in northern Minnesota. Five of my friends and I hiked out to a solitary part of the woods and dug a makeshift shelter and laid trees over it and hung out. One night it was a full moon and we played a modified capture game where three would hide and three would catch. The shelter was the base and when captured, you stayed there until a teammate tagged you or all three were caught. We played for a long time, but one moment I was on the trail of my friend, two other were caught. I knew I had the last guy. He started running through the woods towards the river, a makeshift boundary not to cross. I was hot on his trail when I heard my teammate yell that they caught the third guy. I was chasing something big through the woods at night, bear, wolf or deer, and freaked out when I realized how close I was and had no idea to what. I stopped for a moment and heard it continue to move away. I panicked and ran back to our camp. I live in a fairly small city here in Arizona. About 40 miles or so to the north is the city of Phoenix, as well as the Tonto National Park. But to the south, it's pretty much all desert as far as the eye can see. A lot of outdoorsy type people opt to go hiking in the mountains of Tonto, or along the Salt River near Roosevelt, but I much prefer the Sonora Desert. There's something really peaceful about being out there, and nothing beats rambling through the mesas listening to horse with no name to relieve stress after a busy work week. But if there's one thing I've learned from hiking out there, it's to stick to the lowlands, because there are people hiding among the bluffs out there that you really don't want to run into. And this is story of my own personal encounter with one of them that took place a few years ago. So I'm a couple of hours into my hike, it's unusually hot out for the late afternoon and I'm starting to run out of water. I usually start heading back to my car when my canteen starts to run low, cause as you can imagine, it's not safe being out in the desert with no water. But I was in a real hiking mood, I had more than my usual amount of stress to burn off and I honestly didn't really feel like turning around just yet. Then right as I'm deciding whether or not to actually call it a day, I see something shining out from a hilltop not too far away. It looked like a little blinking of light coming from my direct east, and it took me a moment to realize it was lens flare from a pair of binoculars. I figured it was another hiker, maybe even a group of them, and that if I asked nicely, I might be able to bum a little water off of them so I could continue my hike. So I pick up the pace, winding through the cacti in the hopes that I could catch them on the hilltop. It's tough going. And I'm sweating like a turkey during holiday season by the time I'm like halfway up the hill, but I'm determined to reach the top before they depart, imagining that I might be able to make myself some new hiking buddies in the process. But when I finally reach the top, there's no one to be found, the place was completely deserted. I take a little look around, but still I don't see anyone, yet I do find evidence that someone had in fact been there at some point, and recently too. 
I see all these gear boxes covered in some kind of camouflage material, canvas bags shoved into cracks in the boulders, solar panels sitting out in the sun, and even a kitchen with a stove set up under a rock overhang where there was a fire still burning. It was a full-on campsite on the top of that hill, with a pretty commanding view of the surrounding area. Only it was just a matter of minutes ago that I had seen the lens flare coming from what I assumed was this exact site. It was about then that I got this really eerie feeling that I was being watched from somewhere, and it didn't take long for me to discover how that feeling wasn't entirely without reason. Manos Ariba, cabron, someone said from behind me in a gruff, but chillingly calm voice. I know enough Spanish to be able to recognize that this meant hands up, and punctuating those words was the unmistakable sound of someone locking and loading a gun of some description. Por favor, no despairs, I said as I raised my trembling hands into the air, please, don't shoot me. The person then said something else in Spanish, something I didn't understand, but the fact that they then pushed me down onto my knees clued me into their meaning. I thought that was it for me. You have no idea how easy it would have been for them to just shoot me there and then, before leaving my body out in the desert for the vultures and coyotes. Had they done so, there's a good chance no one would have ever found me, not in once piece anyway. But instead of just straight up executing me, this mysterious person began to pat me down for weapons, then when they were happy I wasn't carrying any, they emptied my pockets of my wallet, phone and car keys. Policia? They asked suddenly, their words were muffled and I could tell without turning around that something was covering their face. No, no policia, no estoy policia I said insistently, realizing that my life depending on them believing my response to their question. There was every chance they might just put a bullet in the back of my head, better to be safe than sorry, but no bullet came, instead, I heard them talking in Spanish again something that was too fast for me to understand. I thought it was another question or a statement directed at me, until I heard someone's voice coming over a radio set, someone this person was obviously communicating with. I strained my ears to try to pick up what they were saying, knowing that my safety probably depended on whatever reply they were giving, but again, I could barely make a word out. It was a dumb thing to do, but I think my curiosity just got the better of me for a moment, and I found myself turning slowly to try to get a look at the guy behind me. I only caught a little glimpse of the guy before he aimed his weapon at me and barked no me Myers, don't look at me, in my direction, but I vividly remember what he was wearing. Besides the ski mask that I had figured he was wearing, he basically had on full military garb. Combat boots, khakis, a tactical vest that held spare magazines for his rifle, as well as what looked like smoke grenades attached to it. I had no idea what he was doing up there being so well equipped, but whatever it was, he meant business. The next thing I know, he throws my wallet, my water bottle and my car keys down in front of me, then holds my driver's license up in front of my face. You talk? You die, he says in broken English before ordering me to my feet and dismissing me with a curt vamos. I did as I was told, utterly terrified that this mysterious gunman now knew my name and my home address, and would also be able to share such information with whoever his superiors were. Naturally, 
I had absolutely no intention of reporting him to the police, and I've actually never told a single soul this story until now, and I only do so under relative anonymity. Because when I got home from that hike, I actually did a little research on who that guy could have been, and what I found absolutely terrified me. One of the first things I read online was an NBC article from 2011, which detailed how the Sinaloa cartel was sending scouts up into the hills around the Sonora Desert into order to track the movement and activities of U.S. law enforcement. The article said that these cartel surveillance teams will camp up in the hills for sometimes two whole months at a time, and that there were thought to be two to three hundred operatives working out there at any one time. They are even equipped with highly sophisticated military gear like night vision goggles and radio encryption equipment. I realized it was one of these guys that I had run into on my hike, and that I had been extremely lucky to have gotten to walk away without catching a bullet. If that guy had even suspected I was a DEA agent or something, and not some dumb hiker who was walking somewhere he shouldn't have been, I'd have had my bones picked clean by desert scavengers before the weekend was out. I won't lie, I'm definitely no tough guy, and the whole experience most certainly put me off of hiking around the desert for a while, as it was frankly one of the most terrifying experiences of my entire life. My first time back was a little nerve-wracking, and I couldn't quite keep my eyes off the hills, just looking for that telltale glare from the binoculars of someone watching me. These days, I'm back to making it out there at least once a week. But I make a point of staying away from the hilltops, because next time I run into one of those scouts for the Sinaloa cartel, I might not be so lucky. Went hiking once in some mountains, near to where I grew up. Farmers would let their flocks of sheep graze around the foothills. Anyway, after hiking for a day, we set up camp at a bend in a stream, had dinner and went to bed. The area in particular was moorland, flat, no large trees or bushes or anything else. When we woke up in the morning there was a freshly dead sheep lying half on the stream bank, and it had been shredded. There was wool and chunks of meat for 30 feet all around our camp. None of it had been there the night before, and the largest wild predator in this country is about the size of a small dog. In the 20 years since, there's been monthly sightings of a large black panther-like animal in the area, along with many more dead sheep. If true, it ate a sheep less than 10 feet from where I was sleeping oblivious. Romania is a country where people might get kidnapped, murdered, disappear and such so yeah. My parents were legitimately afraid for me and were against the idea. I had to lie to them that we would stay in a hotel near the Cozia National Park so they would get off my back. Obviously, that's not we did. Okay so, long story short we had to like travel from Bucharest to this park which is around 200 kilometers in 2 hours by train. We got our immense backpacks, everything we needed and went our way. Nothing specifically happened in the train except the fact that the train was overly crowded, with the exception of our train compartment being completely empty. That is extremely rare for Romanian trains. I got excited thinking that we have that whole compartment to ourselves. As I said, it is a very rare thing to happen. And, of course, 
After 10 to 20 minutes it got occupied by a man entering our compartment, accompanied by a beautiful German Shepherd. I love all kinds of animals, cats and dogs in particular. I usually find my way around all animals, even those that don't like people. Not this dog, no. This dog was otherworldly. He looked so stuff, as if it was a stuffed animal. He would listen to his owner's every single command. I was impressed by it so, obviously, I start asking the man about his dog since it would be a long and awkward trip to have in complete silence. The man was exactly like his dog. Except the commands he would give to his dog. No other contribution to the conversation. He told me the dog's name is Usagasl, Uchigashul, which in Romanian means the killer. It's a very weird name to give a dog because, for this particular example, we would use the English word as it is, not translate to the word Romanian and name the dog like that. But I thought, to each their own. I asked him why such a scary name and he bluntly replied, this dog is trained to kill. It's the only thing he likes and is good at now, I personally consider that the dog will grow up to have similar personality to his owner. And most of the times I would judge people with dogs on how that animal reacts to the world and to his owner. And let me tell you guys, these two did not give a good vibe in return. I brushed everything over thinking to myself that maybe this guy is training his dog to hunt in the woods. Then I started thinking which woods are legal to hunt in our country. While I was thinking of that, the guy, out of nowhere, asks us if we are traveling to the Kozia National Park. That was surprisingly accurate considering that the only time we mentioned the place was in the train station long before we found our seats and way longer before we even met this man. Again, I thought it was nothing because, in my country, people who happen to go in the same direction will try to make small talk and guess where you are heading. Of course, you can just lie to keep safe of your destination or be honest. I took the honesty route and I am judging myself for that. Never be too honest with strangers, or honest at all after you read this story. We confirmed we are going to that place, asked what else is to see around, since he started talking about the area and well. Considering we knew nothing about the place, we took it all in. He told us about the woods, the vegetation, the animals we can encounter, told us about a beautiful monastery right at the bottom of the mountain that we need to climb, advised us to visit the Latricer, low tree shore, waterfall and explore the caves behind it and to try out the local restaurant. When this guy started talking about the wilderness and nature, his eyes glowed as if he was experiencing a pleasant memory, but he also grabbed his dog's collar from the neck. Squeezing it tight, the collar made a loud clink sound. What surprised me was that the dog made no move, no whimper, no twitch, nothing. Just like a stuffed animal. Anyway, we reach our destination, say our goodbyes, the man waves at us, and we faced against him to go on our way. I turn around back right away because I wanted to ask where exactly that restaurant was. And the man and dog were no longer there. Not just that, but also his luggage was gone. That creeped me out a bit but. Who cares? We were too thrilled for our first camping experience. We start walking with our backpacks on us, 10 kilograms each and reach a tunnel digging into the mountain. It looked amazing. Exactly like those horror movie tunnels which, if traveled during night, 
would make your hair stand straight. Lucky for me, we traveled during daytime. It wasn't a long tunnel, we could see the end but by the time we got to the middle of it we hear a whimper in distance. It sounded like a dog crying in desperation for its life. We stop, my boyfriend looks at me with his oh no, you're not going to take that dog with us type of face and tries to convince me to take a different route. We don't. I hear the dog, I go right towards the sound and in the middle of the road I see a chubby puppy with lots of white and a brown circle on his butt crying so hard and laying on the cement looking really hurt, as if hit by a car. I freeze and think to myself that our trip is over, I must save this dog. We call for him, he looks at us, pointy ears up, gets up and like a doofus starts running desperately to us. He was alone and afraid. We called him Rudolph and now he was our camping buddy. Like one kilometer further, we find another puppy, probably his sister, which we dragged from the nearby river, someone threw her in the river to kill her. All wet, cold, and hungry. Of course we take her too. So here we are, 10 kilograms backpacks each, two puppies at my chest, boyfriend with map, trying to find a spot to camp the first night. We pass by the monastery the man in the train mentioned but because we had these puppies, we couldn't enter inside the building, the priests wouldn't allow us, so we just walked around the property, through the gardens until we reached the base of the mountain we had to climb. I'd like to mention that these puppies were two tiny little brats because the second you put them down and forced them to walk on their own, they would slam their butts to the ground and cry. Such drama. We walk, and walk and walk until we decide to stop because it was getting late and I was beginning to get cold. We found a spot next to a small landmark type of cottage the middle of the wood. We call it Troyanita, Troyeniza. It's like a scouting post but for the church, where they place religious icons or a Bible, stuff like that, inside to bring good energy to the area. It belongs to the church. It wasn't like a house, it was basically a roof, with four small walls and an opening, not a door. You could go in too, like, hide from the rain. There was an icon inside, and a Bible with pages ripped from it. Curious as I am, I opened the Bible, was really annoyed to see that people would write down their names in it, like couples do on the trees. But on one particular page the words I will find you stuck out. It was written in red ink. Again, I thought to myself that it was probably someone who wanted to scare travelers with silly messages. I put the book back and gave it no second thought. We put up the tent, make the fire, unpack, make food and eat. We feed the puppies which now are cuddled up in our tent and finally darkness starts to rise all around us. My boyfriend always kept the fire up every hour because when it went off it felt as if all the sounds in the woods were louder and closer to us than in reality. Now it's around 12 AM, we are all in the tent, cuddling to keep warm. The puppies wake up and start crying. I get up and unzip the tent and put them out to pee. They do and I get them back in. They cry some more and the smallest one starts shivering. At the same time I hear grunting from behind our tent. My boyfriend is up too, he hears it as well. The fire is fading. The moment he unzips the tent and steps out, the sound disappears into the woods. It sounded like a snake slithering through the fallen leaves on the ground but with unimaginable speed. I ask him was that a snake? 
He says, up to this day, that he cannot explain what he saw. He says it was a slithery figure with feet that made a snort-like sound when the light hit it. The puppies calm back down after this creature runs into the woods. We try to go back to sleep after we reignite the fire. It's 3 a.m. This time when we wake up for the puppies being fussy again. The fire is nearly dead, we clearly have no idea to put up a sustaining fire, we think to ourselves, my boyfriend gets up to search for firewood and I get out as well. I stare into the darkness and I swear to God I hear whispers coming from between the trees. I look up at the sky, consider it 3 a.m., and hear birds being very loud and fluttering their wings. Now I'm no expert in birds but don't they usually sleep around this time? Well, these weren't. They were very active, very vocal and very frustrated. I look at the fire and follow the red sparks popping out of it into the sky and become fascinated with something. The spark doesn't seem to die. It goes on and on, changing color from hellish red to green. This was very out of the ordinary for me because it created an illusion hard to explain. It looked as if the fire sparks were going into the woods, creating a track for me, probably, to follow. I kept looking after each spark to see when it burns out. None of them did, they would levitate, turn green, and flow into the woods. At that moment I begin to get goose bumps on my skin. The birds being agitated, the mysterious light pointing us to go deeper into the woods and all the trees around us has eyes on them. Like, the trunks had a distinguished shape that looked exactly like eyes. I know this is nothing paranormal since someone explained that those shapes form when a branch is ripped from the root and that's the shape that is left after. But there were so many. Like a hundred eyes all looking at the exact spot where we decided to camp. Having only that religious tiny landmark to mentally protect us. And as I inspect my surroundings I hear movement in one of the bushes in front of our tent like 10 meters away from us. Obviously, I stand my ground but don't go near it. Suddenly, a dark, bent-over silhouette comes out of it and, half inside the bush and half outside, stares at us. I call my boyfriend and we're both like WTF is that? Is it a bear cub? A wolf? A pig? The creature shakes its head the same way a dog does after a bath and I hear a distinguished clink. Like a dog collar. At this time my boyfriend manages to light up the fire really big, which scares this animal to run back into the woods, through the bush from which it initially came out of. That calms us down but not enough to ever close our eyes again during that night. Going back into the tent, my boyfriend falls asleep, the puppies are sound asleep, but not me. I keep the zipper on the tent opened a little, just enough to have my eye peek through it right at the early mentioned bush. I think I spent a solid hour staring and falling asleep to that bush. All of a sudden I hear a noise coming from that direction and I immediately wake my boyfriend up who is now peeking through the hole, in complete darkness, with me. What we see next still hunts my dreams. From that exact same bush, we see a human head popping out and looking towards our tent. Note, that our peeping hole was small enough to not make it look like you were being watched from the inside of the tent. This head is slowly coming out of the bush. Skin so white we thought it was a ghost. After that, a shoulder, another shoulder, a full torso, a leg. 
Bit by bit an entire man emerges from the bush, completely naked, lighted by both the moon and our fire. What he did next was excruciatingly scary for me. He comes so close to our tent and begins to remove branches, rocks, etc. from our fire. Basically extinguishing our fire by dismantling it. This all happening like 2 to 3 meters from our tent. I look at the man with horror. Because I recognize him. And now the clink I heard earlier from that animal has explained. It is the same man from the train. With his dog too. I don't know if he followed us, I don't know if he just went the same route as us and found us and decided to stalk us. But this guy. Was there since 12 AM, at least. Because our fire would be dead every 2 to 3 hours and we would be woken up by the sound of branches being cracked, rocks being moved, which we internally explained as animals crossing the land. After he successfully managed to put out our fire, he slowly crept back into the same bush, submerging into it bit by bit, until only his head would be out, with a disfigured looking mouth, looking like a moaning ghost. You try going back to sleep after that. We didn't know what to do so we just got back out, reignited the fire, light ourselves some torches and stayed near the campfire until the first rays of sun came up. I admit I did fall asleep while sitting down next to the fire and so did my boyfriend. But any sound would wake us up. I was too afraid to go near the distanced bush, I did not need any answers, any explanations, I just wanted daylight to get TF out of there. And we did. We packed our stuff and we got the hell out of there. We planned a four-day camping trip and this experience made us give up after the first night. It was a risk we did not intend to take. If that guy followed us or it was just a coincidence, it was enough to ruin it all. As a conclusion to my story and an advice to any first-time campers out there, never tell your location or even areas remotely close to your destination to strangers. You don't know where their minds take them and what they end up to do. Always stay safe, always be aware of your surroundings and any changes that come to you under the form of sounds, movements, changes of temperature and so on. Always protect yourself. When I was little I lived in a house surrounded by woods in all directions. This was in Northeast Ohio in the deep parts of the Cuyahoga Valley. I would always go adventuring in the forest and would be gone all day but always knew how to get back. I knew that place better than anywhere. One day I was about an hour and a half away heading east away from my house, I had not known that part as well but still decided to go. After a while I noticed a set of tire tracks that had no earthly business being there. They didn't lead anywhere and were only about 10 feet long. No sign of leaving and no sign of entering. They seemingly stopped right at a tree. I scanned the tree for a while and found a carving on the other side which in big letters read go. Obviously this freaked me out entirely. How did the tracks just suddenly appear? And no sign of leaving in any direction. I hurried home and didn't go back to that spot until a few years. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Years later when we had to move. I wanted to see if something had changed and sure enough I went back and saw the tree had been cut down. No other trees were cut down around there but the dirt looked soft and freshly dug. Obviously I proceeded to nope the F out of there. Creepy part is that no one lives around us for about 10 miles in any direction. I live in Australia and I live reasonably close to the Royal National Park where this story takes place. If you aren't familiar with the park, it is a large area over 100 kilometers in space with winding roads and nothing but bushland that are quite fun to drive through. On a night like any other I was doing just that. I was a passenger in my friend Ash's car and my brother Lucas was with us. It was approximately 1am and we were driving deeper into the park as we had done hundreds of times before. As we came quickly around a bend in the route, we were face to face with a girl standing at the edge of the road close to one of those barriers as we must be near a cliff. She looked to be in her teens, her age I couldn't be sure. Though this sounds cliched, I swear she was wearing some kind of white dress and was pale-faced. I am an avid horror movie fan so I understand how all this sounds. Her immediate appearance wasn't what was concerning to us. We had stopped virtually in the middle of the road and the car's headlights were shining directly on her. We became uneasy when the girl did not blink, flinch or move a muscle despite facing us directly. I remember wondering why she would be out here standing in the pitch black night. I can't remember if my brother or our friend suggested it but someone said, should we help her? In that moment, so many questions were racing through my mind. I think I was the first to speak and said no firmly. As much as I wanted to help, I reasoned with the boys saying that if she was in trouble and needed help, she would have indicated it by now. I also suggested that it could be a trap used to distract us and someone could be nearby to attack us if we aided her. After what felt like hours though really it was only a minute, we got the hell out of there. We had to drive past her to continue our route and couldn't do a U-turn or three-point turn because the road was too narrow. As we drove past her, I was in the back seat and turned my head to watch her. I still get chills when I think about this. But that girl's head turned slowly in sync with the car's movements and watched us drive away. I kept my eyes on her and still she did not blink or move as the light around her started to dim until she was in the darkness again and I could no longer see her face. Oddly enough, the three of us didn't mention it the next day or for a long time. At least I don't remember having a conversation about it with Lucas. It was only a few years later when I had started to question if I had dreamed it when I asked my brother and our friend if they remembered that night. To my horror and somewhat relief, they did. They recalled the details as I had recalled them. So I know it was real. Over the years I have wondered what became of her. I regret not going to the police and you may ask why I would even go to the police if she had done nothing wrong? Truth be told. There are no residents that deep in the park and she was a good hour's walk or so from the nearest highway. So I simply wonder if she was a ghost, a lost, catatonic girl who needed help, or maybe she was something more sinister.
I have gone back to the park several times since specifically to find the girl or see if there is a common occurrence. I have researched online for any clues to who she may be. On one drive when searching, I said to a friend of mine Nick who was happy to come along, that there could be bodies in this bush and no one would ever know. A week after I had said this, the dead body of a man was found a few feet away from the road in the bush by a motorist who had stopped to relieve himself. It was in the news and it makes me wonder how many people are out there in that park, but most of all. I just wonder who was she? My boyfriend and I like to go fishing and camping. We were camping at Greenleaf State Park a couple of years ago in Oklahoma and we were driving around nearby, outside the park, to try to find a good fishing spot. We turned off the highway and drove down a dirt road. The further we drove, the road became less and less of a road and more like just tire ruts in the forest. Thankfully, we were in a big four-wheel drive truck, but the road was increasingly bumpy and getting to be nearly not even passable anymore. Then all of the sudden we see another truck up ahead through the trees in an area that was slightly cleared out. We thought that would be a good place to try to get our truck turned around so we could head back to the highway, because the fishing prospect had dwindled as we realized the road was leading away from the water and up a steep hillside. So we come up on this red truck and it looks like it's been there for a while. The doors and windows were closed and the paint was still bright red, but you could see there was a light coating of dust with streaks in it from rain and there was all manner of tree debris on it, leaves, sticks, etc. There was a note on the windshield. I tell my boyfriend to stop so I can get out and read the note, I thought maybe the note was there because someone needed help or something. I get out and as I come around from the passenger side of our truck I notice a dead dog on the ground. Looked like some type of bully breed, most likely a pit. It had gray fur and a collar. Its fur, head, and legs were still intact, but most of its belly was gone and I could see a bit of rib bone sticking out. I didn't bother looking at the note after that. I got back into the truck, we turned it around and headed back to the park. We stopped at the park ranger's office and told them what we saw. We suspect that there might have been a body in that red truck and every time I think about it, I'm glad I didn't go look. But we never heard any more about it. In the sun-bleached badlands of Queensland, Australia, there is a place that stands in sharp contrast to the arid scrubland surrounding it. It towers over the nearby eucalyptus trees, a ginormous, jet-black mound of rocks and boulders, appearing utterly unnatural compared to the sandy, brown earth from which it rises up. It has long been thought be to the cause of bizarre and unexplained phenomenon, and has become the center of dark folklore told around the campfires of the native aborigines. People have long told of seeing strange creatures near the site, witnessing unexplainable sources of light emanating from the rocky landscape, while many who have ventured out to investigate have never been seen again. Its name brings a feeling of dread to those that know of it. This is the story of the Black Mountain. The Black Mountain can be found in the Kalkajaka National Park, a 781-hectare protected area, about 16 miles south of the regional capital, Cooktown. Comprised of a huge collection of granite boulders, some of which measure up to 20 feet in length, 
It towers over 900 feet above the ancient forest that surrounds it. Geologists think that such boulders were formed from a huge volcanic eruption, which caused molten hot lava to spill up from the earth before solidifying. The coal-black appearance is caused by the thin coating of iron and manganese oxides, which is complemented by a film of blue-green algae covering the exposed surface, although these are not so visible from a distance. Needless to say, the dark coloration gives the rocky protrusion a distinctly sinister look. The boulders forming a labyrinthine mass of passageways penetrating deep within the mountain itself, which harbor pockets of escaping warm hair caused by the baking daytime heat. This hot air, complete with its hellish sulfurous smell, has been known to create terrifyingly menacing sounds, skin to a deep moaning, wailing, or an ominous hissing as it escapes the earth. And it is this heat that lends itself to the first of the peculiar happenings that we will discuss. Since the boulders become incredibly hot due to the baking Australian sun, when cooling rains fall on the Black Mountain, the rocks have been known to erupt in violent explosions from the sudden change in temperature. And of course, this adds to the mythos behind the mountain, a place where the landscape can suddenly burst into showers of deadly rock shrapnel. As previously stated, the intimidating appearance and nature of the Black Mountain has often made it a central figure in many terrifying legends and myths. The Kuku Nionkel, an aboriginal tribe native to the region, has long dubbed the mountain Kalkajaka, which depending on who you ask, translates into English as the place of the spear or more chillingly as the mountain of death. Native folk tales speak of the Black Mountain as a place frequented by the spirits of the dead, a home to malevolent forces which lurk in the sulfur-filled caverns which snake beneath the surface. One such spirit is all that remains of an evil witch doctor, known in the aboriginal tongue as the devourer of flesh. Stories are told of unfortunate souls being dragged to their doom by the witch doctor's spectral hands, pulled into the dark tunnels as they kick and scream, never to be seen alive again. There is also the legacy of a brutal massacre inflicted on the Kuku Nionkel by early European settlers to the region, who supposedly transported a group of men, women and children to a ravine close by, before slaughtering each and every one of them in a callous display of ethnic cleansing. The ghosts of whom are said to still wander the black rocks of the mountain, crying out for vengeance, giving rise to the native belief that the place is sacred, and not to be encroached upon. But even today, the Black Mountain has been the center of a series of bizarre events. The local wildlife population is said to avoid the area entirely, birds refuse to fly over the rocky outcrop and nearby forests are as quiet as the grave. Aircraft, both civilian and military, have reported strange equipment malfunctions whilst flying over the region, as well as experiencing unusually violent amounts of turbulence. It was initially thought that magnetic disturbances or perhaps high levels of radiation might account for such bizarre malfunctions, yet a 1991 aerial survey conducted by the Bureau of Mineral Resources turned up nothing unusual, despite the fact that pilots continue to report these kinds of phenomena occurring. There have been rumors that the Black Mountain's deep subterranean tunnels hide everything from the headquarters of extraterrestrial visitors, to ancient, lost civilizations, complete with tombs and valuable, long-lost treasures. 
Some of these treasures said to reside within the depths of the many caves are lost stockpiles of gold, historic artifacts, or even ancient texts. And there may be an element of truth to such rumors, since the massive geological shift could well have unearthed some rather large gold or diamond deposits that are sitting down in the dark, waiting to be claimed. Other more terrifying theories revolve around the strange beasts that are said to inhabit the forests around the Black Mountain. Although it is well known that Australia is the home of many unique and pervasive species, there are tales of predator creatures stalking the ancient bushland that are far more terrifying than anyone can possibly imagine. Hiding among the dense maze of overlapping boulders, there are supposedly enormous, overgrown snakes hunger for the flesh of humans and animals alike. There is also talk of a mysterious feline huntress, known by the moniker of the Queensland Tiger that is said to prowl the mountainside, occasionally venturing out into the wider area to maul and mutilate cattle, eating them alive before disappearing back into the darkness of the night. There are also occasional reports of huge, reptilian humanoids emerging from the underground tunnels and passageways, stories of ephemeral, shadowy figures that stalk the area in groups. But it is unclear whether these represent some type of real animal, a more supernatural phenomenon, or merely a trick of shadow and light upon the black boulders. After all, our eyes can play tricks on us, especially when we're frightened. But perhaps the most commonly known and most frightening occurrences related to the Black Mountain are the many mysterious disappearances that have taken place there. There are a number of tales of entire herds of horses and cattle simply vanishing from the area, as if they were swallowed up by the mountain itself. But even more alarming are the stories of the large numbers of people who have apparently ventured into the area before disappearing without a trace. While there are a plethora of aboriginal horror stories of their people vanishing from the mountain in the years before Europeans arrived, the first relatively modern account of an unexplainable disappearance dates back to 1877, when a farmhand by the name of Grainer went out on horseback to search for a stray calf that had apparently vanished in the area surrounding the Black Mountain. It was the last time any of his family or friends saw him alive. After a thorough search of the area surrounding mountain failed to turn up any trace of the courier, it was assumed that he had fallen into one of the many jagged chasms between the boulders. But despite thorough exploration, no survivor or corpse was found. It was as if he had simply vanished into thin air. A few years after the incident involving the vanishing farmhand, an infamous outlaw and gunslinger known as Sugarfoot Jack was involved in a dead shootout with local law enforcement. Upon losing a handful of their number to police bullets, the survivors fled on horseback in the direction of the Black Mountain. The last time the pursuing officers saw them, they were scaling the black boulders, attempting to find cover among the rocks, but after the officers dismounted and readied themselves to receive a withering volley of gunfire, nothing came. The outlaws were never seen again, and despite the exhaustive police search that followed there was no evidence at all to hint at where they had gone. Again, it was as if they had straight up vanished from the face of the earth. Since then, the number of unexplainable disappearances rose considerably. In another instance, a Cookstown man by the name of Harry Owens was out herding his cattle. When he failed to return, his partner, George Hawkins, went to the police, 
who subsequently organized a search party that went out looking for the missing farmer. According to one account, two police officers ventured up the mountain and into one of the caves. After a considerable wait, only one of them emerged. When the officer returned alone from the darkened caverns, he was said to be so completely deranged and terrified over something he had seen inside that he was unable to speak. And no matter how much his fellow officers questioned him on what had happened, he couldn't bring himself to talk of it. Years later, two professional cave explorers who traveled from the nation's capital of Sydney, tried to solve the enigma of these disappearances before going missing themselves. In all cases, nothing was ever found to give any clues at all as to what had happened to any of these people, and extensive investigations have never been able to come up with anything conclusive regarding the causes of their disappearances. It is as if the mountain itself had swallowed them alive, which is actually not far from the official theory given by the Australian government. A handful of geological experts have stated that these people most likely fell into the numerous caves, crevices, and chasms of the mountain or became hopelessly lost when trying to venture into the impenetrably dark passages. It is also likely that highly concentrated pockets of sulfur had suffocated those unlucky enough to wander into them. Whether or not this is actually what happened to the disappeared remains unclear, as there have only been a very small number of people that have braved the mountain's caves and returned to tell the tale. One experienced aboriginal bushman who ventured into the mountain, armed with a pistol and flashlight, has given a chilling account of his time in the deep, dark depths. I stepped into the opening, like other black mountain caves it dipped steeply downwards, narrowing as it went. Suddenly I found myself facing a solid wall of rock, but to the right there was a passageway just large enough for me to enter in a stooping position I moved along it carefully for several yards. The floor was fairly level, the walls a very smooth granite. The passage twisted and turned this way and that, always sloping deeper into the earth. Presently I began to feel uneasy. A huge bat beat its wings against me as it passed, however I forced myself on, to push further. Soon my nostrils were filled with a sickly musty stench. Then my torch went out. I was in total darkness. From somewhere, that seemed the bowels of the earth I could hear a faint moaning which was then followed by the flapping of wings of thousands of bats. I began to panic as I groped and floundered back the way I thought I had come. My arms and legs were bleeding from bumps with unseen rocks. My outstretched hands clawed at space, I expected solid walls and floors, but could not find it. At one stage where I had wandered into a side passage, I came to the brink of what was undoubtedly a precipice judging by the echoes. The air was foul and I felt increasing dizziness. Terrifying thoughts were racing through my mind about giant rock pythons I have seen around this mountain. As I crawled along, getting weaker and losing hope of ever coming out alive, I saw a tiny streak of light. It gave me super strength to worm my way towards a small cave mouth half a mile from the one I had entered. Reaching the open air I gulped in a lungful of it and fell down exhausted. I later found that I had been underground for five hours, most of the time on my hands and knees. A king's ransom would not induce me to enter those caves again. His account is a frankly horrifying look at what can happen to those who are foolish enough to venture into the dark, hissing caves of Black Mountain, and perhaps provide a clue towards the last things the missing ever saw.
His words alone are enough to put most people off of an attempt at unraveling the mysteries of the Black Mountain, but they do suggest a tangible theory as to how and why those foolish enough to venture inside failed to ever return. Was it just the case that these unfortunate souls simply got lost and died of thirst in the sweltering hot tunnels, or was there a less explainable, evil force at work down there? There have been very few who have been brave enough to investigate further, but every single one of those who have, described a feeling of desperate confusion, becoming hopelessly lost, as well as being plagued by feelings of palpable terror and anxiety as they explored the stifling blackness of the tunnels. The warrens and cavities of the Black Mountain have been invariably described as being highly intricate and extremely erratic, filled with perilously sudden drops and deep, dark chasms, just waiting for the unwary to fall down them. There is also the added danger of jagged, sharp walls, not to mention the exploding rocks and boulders we talked about previously. One can only imagine the oppressive heat that saturates the confines of the passageways, the kind that makes the disgusting, rotten egg smell of sulfur even more pronounced. Not to mention the horror hearing the incessant fluttering of bats' wings that only increase the sense of horror and danger of the place. Most of the cave explorers have dared to enter the Black Mountain described the caves of as being the singularly most horrific experience of their lives, while the tourists who visit Kalkajaka National Park are more than content to view the foreboding mountain from a very safe distance. Whether or not you actually believe any of the folklore or horror stories involving the Black Mountain, it is most definitely a harsh, unforgiving place that instills a palpable sense of unease and dread in those who see it. It is clear that this menacing mound of boulders in the middle of the Australian wilderness is a place shunned by the rest of the natural world. An enigmatic place of natural wonder, mystery, and fear, the Black Mountain of Kalkajaka continues to tower over the surrounding area, perhaps just a mere pile of boulders, or perhaps watching, waiting, inviting more souls to join those already lost to its deep, dark tunnels. Back in 1994 I was driving through Montana on my way to my permanent party station at Fort Lewis WA. I was in bum nowhere middle of the night flying at 90 to 100 miles an hour. About 200 to 250 miles from Idaho. I saw a guy fall down just ahead of me into my lane. I slammed my brakes and tried to swerve I actually ended up doing a 180 across all lanes of traffic. I swear if there was another car coming I'd be dead. I drive back down the road about a mile in the opposite direction and turned around and drove back. There was a pair of shoes on the side of the road that looked like they had been there for a while. That's it. No body. No bloody mess. Nothing but those shoes. I used to work security at a post that was basically a farmland plot, with rows of various crops and veggies, and farming vehicles all centered together in the middle of this barren crop so basically the center of the acreage was the outpost. That's where I was to stand watching my vehicle. To my left and right are a dozen or so tractors and other farming vehicles. I'm protecting those from wandering homeless and thieves, who would always strip parts off of the machinery, Hence our newfound contract with the farm owner. There's a porta potty some distance away, 
A Matson container with a chair inside, closest thing I have to a building, a trail that circles the perimeter of the land, which itself is outskirted by tall jungle-like shrubbery. So I'm on a plowed flatland surrounded by towering dark forestry, which the only entrance slash exit runs through via gate. I have to routinely patrol the perimeter by car as well. The drivable portion of the whole field is just that trail that squares around the borders, and a single trail that runs full through the middle, intersecting my outpost. Basically a square with a line in the middle is my roadway. Nobody can access the property without the key. I have the gate locked, so this isn't some situation with bystanders wandering through. I'm out here alone and on my own. The shift is from 6pm to 6am. This took place between 1am and 4am. There are no street lights around, there is virtually no civilization around for miles, so it gets pitch black at night. The moon provides okayish light, but this night is particularly dark. A hurricane was passing through our state shoreline, common occurrence, nothing serious, so the inland regions were hit with heavy winds. And rain. It was raining hard. The wind was ridiculous. Basically I'm mid-patrol on the perimeter in my car, playing music and smoking a cig, the job was chill was F, when I see a flare shoot up in the sky. Like a flare gun kind of flare, so I'm thinking shit someone's in an emergency assuming some dumbass managed to drive onto the farm through the jungle and flipped his car or hurt himself and had a flare gun in his kit for emergencies or some shit. I dunno, but I thought nothing weird of it. I speed off towards the direction of the flare. I slow to a crawl and crack my passenger window, yelling out if anyone was there, towards the direction of some big ol' wheat rows I couldn't drive through. Silence. Hello? This is security, is someone hurt out there? More silence. Then sudden rustling. Really aggressive, loud, sudden rustling, coming towards me through the wheat. And it's a dog. Golden Retriever barking at me. So I'm thinking, okay someone's hurt in the pouring rain, and their dog is trying to tell me that. I should get out and see if he tries leading me somewhere. I step out, and immediately two red laser dots swim over my vehicle, myself, and my general direction, as if steadying to take aim. The realization hit me like a truck. This wasn't gonna be another chill night on the job. I have an adversary out here. I quickly get back in my car soaking wet, mud all over my mats, rain pouring down in showers. I considered the possibility that the lasers were probably just laser pointers and someone was messing with me, but it seemed weird for someone to be out in this weather just to pull pranks. So I'm sitting there in my car, seat leaned back low as F, and I'm watching these red dots dance on my passenger window. The rain is so heavy it's kinda shielding me from their view with a veil of rainwater. But I'm laying low regardless. About to call 911 and then. Ren Ren. I hear about 4 or 5 cars gunning at top speed through the middle trail that intersects my outpost which I'm nowhere near but have clear view of. I raise my head and can make out red tail lights speeding away from the farm equipment. I got finessed. Shoot flare somewhere away from machinery. Guard goes to investigate. Pin him down with lasers, make him think he's under attack. Use that precious time to strip the machines, and flee with the goods. Well played. 
I raise my seat, and beeline through a crop row mini trail big enough for my car width to fit through. I'm pressing 80 miles per hour, car bouncing violently, chasing after five sets of taillights which I've yet to catch up to. Then I come out of my shortcut, and turn hard right, putting me on middle trail again, chasing southbound, the direction of the entry gate, without post behind me. And putting me now directly behind the taillights, with a gap in distance still between us, but at least I'm on their same route now and can follow. I had no plan. What was gonna happen if I caught up? There's five of them. One of me. Calling 911 means nothing out here, as least not in terms of quick response. I wasn't gonna let these guys off. If I could catch up and get the license plate numbers, that would be good. K, they're approaching the fence line. Behind that is rocky, jungle shit. Ain't no driving through the fence and escaping. But these guys aren't slowing down. They can make a left or a right, but they'll slide out of control at that speed. I'm thinking are they really gonna drift on a muddy hard turn? And then those 10 red tail lights all elevated into the sky rapidly, no longer in pairs of twos which mimic tail lights, but instead, split apart individually as 10 separate red orb light things. They rose up fast, froze for a second, then launched off into the sky fast as hell. And then I realized I didn't hear tires or anything else while chasing them, besides my own. Just the initial vroom sounds. I slam on the brakes, stopping before the fence, and wondering what the F I just chased. Were they hovering over the trail? Was that UFO shit or something? Then I hear a bark. I look in my rearview mirror and the golden retriever is behind my vehicle. Barking. I stepped out of the car trying to regain my sanity. I'm kinda just walking around in rain, wind, and mud. The dog remains where he's at, just watching me. Then I figure, it's best I go check on the machinery to see what was stolen or damaged. I get back in my car. It is approximately 4 AM. Suddenly it's 6.30 AM. I didn't move my car an inch, nor was I sleepy. I completely lost 2.5 hours of my life. I remember nothing at all during that time frame. I drive back to outpost to assess damages slash theft, at the time I'm still thinking this was people responsible, and that maybe the red taillights flying off were just part of a dream I had. First thing I notice is a mutilated golden retriever on the ground. Next thing I notice is the theft. No. Not stripped parts and pieces. Full-blown multi-ton farm vehicles. I can see several barren spots where I know a vehicle was. Gone. Huge water tanker truck is gone, all kinds of shit is gone. Those red lights took vehicles. Had to have been. Ain't no human could have did it. Those farm vehicles don't even drive fast. It's like they just vanished and took flight in the red orbs? I dunno. No explanation of what the F I saw that night. I found a little usable plot of loose soil away from the crops, buried the dog, said a little prayer for him, and drove home that morning as the sun was beginning to break the horizon. The storm had since become a light drizzle and the winds minimized. I will never understand that night.